Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. It's the holiday season, so if you're an operator listening to this, you can't tell me that you don't get some kind of sick satisfaction out of untangling a ball of impossibly tangled lights. It's weird, right? But there's something about being handed a problem that's painfully broken and fixing it. Our guest today is someone who has found himself attracted to a specific type of operations pain for his entire career. That guest is Navin Prasad, the VP of Revenue Operations at 1Password. Over the course of his career, Navin has developed a well-formed perspective on how to seek out and solve the pain that pops up inside of revenue organizations. In our conversation, we talk about optimizing for outcomes when solving pain, the mantra of the best operations teams, and why operations folks don't necessarily score goals, but collect assists. Let's start, though, with what attracts Navin to this kind of operational pain in the first place. What is it that draws him in when so many others would be repelled? As someone who loves to build, you obviously are attracted to a company that needs to build and they need to build because right now they might be in a whole lot of pain. And by pain, I mean, they've reached a certain point in their evolution or otherwise where they feel as though there's a lot of noise happening in this area. It's impacting other areas of the business with respect to either good process data, rep efficiency, forecasting, et cetera. I need someone to like own that ball of wax. And that ball of wax usually starts with We just bought a whole bunch of systems and now we have to go figure it out. That's sort of the pain that I would say sort of one of the key indicators of is that going to be a place that I'm going to enjoy it because there's no better fun for me than building and and sort of seeing those first things or small wins sort of add up and start to see the team around it start to like really enjoy it, really, really now start to see like progression and some of those friction barriers get knocked down that, that are in front of them. And is there something about you or about kind of your personality or traits that make you feel as though, okay, yeah, I am someone who's attracted to that pain? Like, have you figured out what that is and in a way that you can also then look for that when you're hiring? I would say the the first thing is that obviously I'm, I'm in a role where I'm going to be supporting the sales org. Sales is hard. Like I carried a bag in the channel org in my early days at IBM and it's hard. And I think moving into ops was like the best thing for me. But having been grounded into a sales career to start really allowed me to develop the empathy of why sales is hard, the mentality of the sales process, and then take that into the the areas that I live in day in and day out, the systems, the data, and the reporting. Think, how would a sales rep go through this? Would they like this experience? What's in it for them? And sort of like guide my teams who are technical in nature or data in nature to help them see it through the lens of a seller so that we're developing things that are not perfect and pretty, but functional and efficient. Navin articulated this thought better than I've heard others who have tried in the past. He's self-aware enough to realize that he's attracted to this type of pain, the pain of things not working as they should, the pain of a hornet's nest that needs to be untangled of processes so clearly in need of efficiencies. And the empathy that he brings to these situations is what helps him through it. You can't just call out the pain and then solve it without bringing people along with you. 
And that last part is hard, especially when pain is everywhere in early stage companies. So when Navin has come into these painful situations in the past, what does he bring with him into these new jobs? How does he both identify the pains most worth solving and the solutions to the pains themselves? The first thing is like, what's the intake process? Like, how are we addressing those issues, those fires that are coming from all areas of the org in one place so that we can determine like, what's a now problem? What's a later problem? Because initially, as you're building out teams, you're going to be slightly resource strapped. So you're going to need to focus on the things that will drive the most meaningful impact to keep everyone at bay so you can have time to develop and work on the next things as you build out your team and as you sort of knock down those quick wins. So an intake process is key. Otherwise, you're going to be firefighting in every angle, in emails, in slacks, in meetings, et cetera. It's just never ending. And you may win a battle a week and then lose two and you're just never moving forward. So Having that that strong process allows you to then mature into like a backlog, allows you to then be a little bit more transparent with here's what we're working on, here's what's next up, so that your stakeholders can partner along with you for that ride. In terms of the first question you asked with, with respect to like, what's the approach or what do you bring with you? I feel as though I really, I've worked with enough vendors where I know that I can trust what I can get from an outcome. I can trust the understanding of what an implementation looks like, even if the team with me at my new place doesn't necessarily know that, because then I can feel I can I can guide them toward the right end. They can learn on the way and they can be better, you know, rev ops, sales ops people. But having that trust takes time. Working with a vendor, especially new ones, you're both trying to feel each other out. You're both trying to believe, am I gonna get the ROI that I saw in that sales process? How hard is it going to be before I see some value? And at the end of the day, is this going to become part of my core stack that like I can't live without? Those are things that come with time and through maturity. And I've been able to enjoy a few of those vendors in a few other roles. And I've gotten to a point where, yeah, I'm going to get to a, a new place and then I'm going to see the challenges. And then I'm going to start to insert that experience through the tech I've been used to to help me knock down problems that almost every SaaS org has as just common things to go fix and solve on like the first few months in. I like the way you put it, that you're optimizing to trust for an outcome, right? And maybe that is distinct from, okay, this is the problem I need to solve, or this is the pain I'm currently feeling. You're you're saying this is the outcome I'm looking for. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe an example of what it would mean to come in and say, okay, this is the outcome I'm driving towards. And so therefore, this is the technology or the vendor or the process, whatever, that would get me to that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that I've run across quite often jump to, I have a problem and the tech is the solution. That's not the case. The tech is the means to the end. The end is the solution that you think you want to get to. You need to leverage the platform that you're going to work with to help you get there but it is not in and of itself the solution. And that's that's a key distinction when you're able to make that in the business and, and bring people along for that ride. SaaS businesses, right? They, I mean, you may have different products and widgets that you sell, but generally you are trying to attract and acquire customers, grow them, upsell, keep them, and then just re- rinse and repeat. I try and look at it from like that linear cycle and understand, you know, in day in the life of, 
and I'll, I'll take my, my current role as an example. When I got here, I, we're a product-led business. We have a, an SDR team. I wanted to understand what they were doing on a daily basis. Not because I wanted to, hey, this is wrong. You should do this, do that. I, I wanted to understand their pain. I wanted to understand like the amount of effort that they were having to deploy to do a task and what that was resulting in. And then how is that passing through the rest of the system? I don't think you can fully understand a challenge without actually like trying to do it yourself. And people in ops should definitely look for those opportunities to shadow, sit alongside, and just learn from, you know, from the beginning to the end, right? How is the sausage made? You really need to sit there and, and like see it before you try and jump in and, and say, no, you should do this and do that. Because then you really have a better understanding of the outputs you can drive towards. So as you enter into any sort of new situation, I think that you can distill Navin's advice here into three parts. First, develop an intake system for all of the different pains that you're observing. Second, when you go to solve your pains or problems, don't just automatically reach for a piece of technology, but rather look for the outcomes you want to drive through that technology or processes. And third, Sit down and watch the people that you're trying to optimize for. Put in the time to truly observe and understand their workflows and where you can make improvements. And while firsthand observation will absolutely accelerate your understanding of a business more than anything else, it's Navin's experience that is what helps him to learn even faster. Because he knows at this point what good and bad look like. Experience to me is like you have seen both good and bad. And you understand where you are in that journey. I don't think you could properly assess, answer your question without seeing both ends of that spectrum. So to me, part of it is like understanding what the view of the world is from that role, looking for opportunities for enablement. Does a process exist? Is there a visual aid? How are people onboarded? And and take all those things together and then come back with some recommendations. It could be simple ones at first. But then they can grow into things that may be a bit more complex, but you hide the complexity. You just sort of make it simpler for the reps to say, you know, all you have to do is this and this, and these things will happen. And you take that complexity and sort of, you know, bear the burden of it within ops, but you just expose the simple parts of the role. So the reps can spend more times with customers, more times on the phone, more times with engagement, and less times trying to like, meander through a process within, you know, your CRM. You mentioned enablement briefly there. Like, where does that fall on the order of ingredients when you're first coming into one of these roles? I definitely need to understand it, where it's strong, where it's weak. But I love the concept. I I don't know where I've got, I received it in the past, but there's always onboarding, right? Everyone's familiar with onboarding, but there is a concept of everboarding. Yeah. I love that because, you know, I'm, I'm a change agent. I love to come in and you know make change for the good, but no change can go and become successful unless people are enabled towards it, right? They're bought in, they understand it, and now it's their their mindset as they sort of do their their role and have success in their function. And then as we bring new people in, they sort of just fall in line because that's just the way it's always been done, because that's the way they've been trained to do it. So when there isn't enablement, you have scattershot, you have lone wolves, you have, you have a lot of things that can go awry. And those things generally also break down from an ops standpoint. We can build great systems and process, but we need strong functions within an enablement org 
to drive people and partner with us to make it known, useful, and almost to the point where the reps say, what's in it for me? You're going to go do this change, and they have a really clear understanding. I got it because I know if I go do this, this is in it for me. I'm going to close more deals faster. I'm going to get more bats. I'm going to have more insight into my accounts, et cetera. So once the rep can sort of like center on the selfish thing that's involved for them, they can get on board a lot more quickly. That's a great lesson and recipe for success for anything in ops. You have to start with the why for your audience. Only when you can articulate what's in it for them can you drive the change that you're looking for. Navin said it himself. He's a change agent. And I really appreciate that he has a well-formed and confident perspective in the role that he and his teams should play in an organization. And he's narrowed it down to two key pillars. Our mantra should be reduce friction in the sales cycle, in the sales process from beginning to end, and deliver insight back into the business so that they can be better. Those are like the pillars of you know, what an ops function should do. Everything else is a means to those ends, right? Great system, accurate data, clear reporting, forecasting. All of those things are nice, discrete things, but they must ladder up to those top two things. And if they don't, you need to ask yourself as an ops leader or an ops professional, why are we doing them? Because if we're doing them for ourselves and not for us, then that's a bit of a problem because you're sort of creating a silo away from the direction of you know what makes you successful in the business. When you say for ourselves, you're talking about specifically for operators themselves as opposed to others in the business. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. I've been places where there's been like a lot of systems put in place that were were deemed as too laborious, too many clicks. It's a lot of work and the reps left them. They literally didn't use them and just came back to them to book a deal. And to me, that was like, that was horrendous. When I stepped into that scenario, I thought, wow, I'm going to have a long road here to build trust, right? Because there's obviously a view that's been here for a while about ops and rev ops and everything else that, yeah, they're the ones that make my life hard, not to make my life easy. It took time. It took a lot of investment, but it got there. But it's that sort of mentality of trying to build perfection. It is, I think that the, the phrase is, you know, perfection is the enemy of pace. And you want pace in your business. So you have to find those trade-offs to get as much as you think you can get without trying to be you know, too perfect around the edges and help the teams get to the remainder. Somebody said to me once that you don't win any awards for going out of business with the best systems. And like that just always stuck with me, right? Like is what you're doing actually driving the business forward in a needle-moving way? One of the things that you told me that I think is super interesting is the idea of RevOps cannot score goals. They are there to instead collect assists. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and and maybe some examples of what that might look like to collect assists? Yeah. RevOps professionals, we don't carry a quota. We're obviously super interested in the success of the business, but at the end of the day, we can provide the insight, the tooling, the process. We can help with the enablement, but it's up to the reps to then leverage those things to become successful. So I almost look at RevOps as providing the foundation or the environment for success so that the reps can then like, you know, do the things that are innate to them and be successful within their function. Too often sales teams are plopped into orgs that don't have that environment. So not only are they scrambling to be 
great at their job, they're also losing time, again, time the enemy of all quotas, to trying to manage everything else that isn't working for them in their environment, things that they don't directly control or own, but need to have in place to be successful as, as a seller. Okay, here's a challenge for you. As you're wrapping up your year, take stock of the assists you've collected this year. What have you done to, as Navin describes, both reduce friction in the sales process and deliver insight back into the business for it to be better? I'm sure that your lists are impressive. Take the time to appreciate and show off those assists. And if you're feeling short on assists and long on projects that don't fall into Navin's two categories, then it might be time to reassess how you prioritize what's most important. It's also important to give yourself a little bit of a break. Even Navin told me this work doesn't happen overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day. It's not easy, but I think there are fundamental things that you know, you can look at in a business pretty quickly and sort of help tame until you can, you know, have a more robust solution just to keep sort of the the teams around you at ease and have an understanding of, okay, there's a plan now, right? There's, there are systems in place. There's, there's a plan and we see the journey. It's to me, it's, it's more important to paint the picture of what will be as quickly as possible than to actually go in and like do all those things right away. Because the other thing you have to realize is like, a SaaS business is like, you know, a car doing 100 miles an hour on the highway. It needs to keep running. You can't take the car on a pit stop to do all the wonderful ops things you would love to do <laughs> and then continue the journey. So you have that going as, as sort of an advantage coming in to say, listen, it's going to take some time. I need to keep the engine running. But here are the things we can do on the fly to make it easier while I'm building the plan for the overall mission and, and getting people aligned to it. So I think that approach, the approach of leading with empathy, approach of taking all those requests, coming up with your initial, here's what we're going to tackle first, here are the areas we're going to focus on first. That alone, like just being heard sometimes, mm. you can't discount that. Too often, I think people complain, complain, and then they stop. And when they stop, that's the worst possible thing because that could potentially mean they don't care anymore. Yeah, if you're not hearing anything from them, then you probably have lost their or they're just not paying attention. Exactly, exactly. I'm curious, like tactically for folks who are trying to make that switch and be in the world that you're describing where you can be providing those proactive insights, like do you carve out a certain bandwidth for yourself when you're building your goals that's just going to be about proactive work? How do you tactically go about starting to carve out that niche or that really just function for your group? Curiosity is a superpower. I, I will not discount the importance of that. When I look to hire, when I look to build teams, I want people who are super curious. I want people who want to take things apart to fully understand it and then put them back together. Those are the people who are going to be able to quickly spot opportunities for improvement, opportunities for enablement, opportunities for refinement or further efficiency because they understand how the machine works. Those are the folks that I know are, are, are fully invested because they, they, they really want to see the success, but they're really in tune with like how the machine should work versus how it might be working right now. Curiosity is there for sure. I think you also have to have a really good business acumen. And what I mean by that is too often I could be you know sitting in some really technical discussion and have a good understanding of what I want, but leveraging my team to help me get there through the, like 
the you know the verboseness of what we're being what what's discussing but being able to ensure that the team understands like here's the business objective so this thing we're working on is great we can dive into the technical weeds and feeds but the output needs to be here because this is what the business around us understands this is what they value they don't value the thing we're building and all the speeds and feeds they value this so keep our goal centered on that makes it really easy to like translate quite often i think my function serves as translator yeah. it's basically understanding a pain in the business and translating it to my team in terms of here are the things in the systems we need to do implement change to address that or take a thing we've built and then go back to the team and say this super complicated thing it's going to solve like these two things that you've told me are pains in your business so making sure we're all speaking within the same wavelengths but being able to pivot back and forth is super important having that function or role in an organization who can sort of like straddle a line keeps people moving forward and and keeps less of the you know the number of meetings or the number of times you get stuck on requirements and building etc it just makes people have more comfort to understand okay those are my pain points they're being addressed on this project i can move forward when you can come into a business you can speak to the sales leaders and sort of like understand their pain and ask them questions and have them say yeah that's exactly it that's my problem like how do we solve that and then go to the like the technical teams and then tell them yeah, this workflow is wrong for this reason this is the outcomes we were expecting and not like having those light bulbs go off and then having a bunch of light bulbs go off in the business that's satisfying those are like those little assists that pile up into like bigger outcomes but that's the pain i think that uh, that attracts me back you know full circle is being able to like illuminate the areas of where we need to focus translating the pain and then driving towards those initiatives to, you know to resolve that pain and move on to the next one because there'll always be more pain before we go at the end of each show we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Oh, man. <laughs> I would love to tell you, hey, I have had time to do a lot of reading. I, <laughs> I am a huge Game of Thrones fan. I am a huge Star Wars fan. So obviously, you know, Dance with Dragons and, and, and reading that. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Non-business stuff. Is do a lot great. of reading. That's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> All right. Favorite part about working in ops? No day is the same day. Every day is different. There could be something that's a fire drill. could be something that I had planned. There could be something that is completely new. And it takes the monotony. It adds a layer of stress, but I use that as an internal motivator to get up at seven and, and drive forward and win the day. Least favorite part about working in ops? <laughs> you know, there are those things that I would love to say in a perfect world, I can always explain why we have to do it to certain people. <laughs> And sometimes it's just, I have to do it. We need it. It has to get done. And sometimes those are difficult conversations that maybe people realize down the road, ah, that's why you needed to do this. But right away, people think, you know, near term, don't see the forest through the trees and give me some initial, nah, I don't want to do that. And we have to have that conversation. 
even getting that like, oh, I see why we had to do this later on, like yep. that even is pretty rare. And so if you get that, like that's that's a real nice cherry on top at the end of that. All right. Someone who impacted you getting to the job you have today. Wow. I would have to say my CFO, my current CFO here. I haven't applied to a job in a while. So there's that. But obviously she was instrumental in pointing to me as a reference. Someone I had met in the past, had had interviewed with and just, you know, out of the blue said, hey, you should talk to this person. And uh, I am so happy, you know, we made that connection. That's awesome. All right. Last one. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Don't be afraid to stand up to the the things that you believe in. And what I mean by that is I work, I'm in the sales org. I work with marketing. I work with finance. I work with all the teams around us. And I think a big part of being able to establish trust outside of sales is acting like Switzerland, neutral party, right? Like having a a very black and white view of our performance, our metrics, our results. The facts are the facts. It's not up to me to color them. It's up to me to provide insight or to directionally understand the things we can do to change those facts in the future. And having that framework, that mindset to think, think about things objectively and frame the narrative, not in like the piecemeal problem, but the higher order thing. And that's a skill that I think if you can master and develop, you'll be very successful. But again, I'll come back to curiosity. Be curious. Sales are always be closing. Always be curious. Like that is that is superpowers for sure. Because too often people glaze over the things that are super important and not realize the impact that they might have downstream. Take them apart, put them back together, put your stamp on it and move on. And then you'll, you'll have that confidence when you move into your next role. Thanks so much to Navin for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you liked what you heard, please leave a six-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure you are subscribed to our show so you get a new episode in your feed every other Friday. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.